Well, good morning. Thanksgiving week. Did everybody get enough to eat? That's always the, the first question. If you didn't, I'm sorry for you. John told me this morning he and Sarah were on a diet through Thanksgiving. I just think that's torture. Poor, poor guys. But, uh, but anyway, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Here this morning, just gathering together to celebrate and um, worship all the things that we are thankful for. Thankful for a couple things. First of all, um, I'm thankful for, uh, for you, for our church, for what God is doing here in your lives and in our lives together. And we're going to just continue to celebrate that as we get ready for Christmas. We'll be setting up the uh, room for Christmas, hanging the greens tonight. If you can join us, we'd love to have you. Good chance to connect and fellowship together as we uh, get this place ready for Christmas. It's going to be gorgeous and will help us get into that spirit. Thankful for that. I'm thankful for uh, also for Upward. Uh, this week, Matt just informed me this morning that uh, this weekend we hit our absolute max limit of uh, kids involved in Upward Sports, our basketball. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, that means we had 300 kids sign up for basketball and cheerleading. And we actually cannot physically take another child. There's just not enough room and t- practice time and all that. So we are maxed out, and I'm thankful for that. Lots of kids running around. And by the way, we need lots of help with that. There's, there's an opportunity for, for all of us to be involved. That's a wonderful ministry. God's given us a, 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 a bridge-building opportunity. Could you join us? This week we're doing the, uh, the tryouts, if you will, the evaluations to see where the kids fit. And we need lots of help with that. It's uh, Thursday and Saturday, if you're interested, if you could help see uh, Pastor Matt or Christy or Lee or, or if you just want to grab somebody at the table out back and let them know. We need lots of help. If you could sit there and, and punch a clock or, or help size kids up for their uniforms, just simple stuff this week. We could sure use, uh, with 300 kids, lots of help. So, um, so please, if everybody could show up for that. And then we also need coaches and volunteers to participate throughout the season. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Let's, let's step up and join God where he's working there. Thankful for a wonderful work of healing. I don't know if everybody is aware, but we have had one family in our church been praying for several months. Their baby Bowen had cancer and um, just uh, recently, within the last couple weeks, was proclaimed in remission. And officially, isn't that awesome? Praising God for that. I'm thankful for uh, the young mother in our community that was found. Um, she was released by her captors. Amen. <laughs> Sherry, and um, I'm going to tell you something. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about God moving mountains. And um, Sherry and her husband's best friends were here worshiping with us that day. And I went up after the service in my office, and I was getting ready for the membership class, and one of our staff called me down and said, this lady really wants to see you. You need to come visit. And so I came back down and met with her, and it was Sherry's good friend. And uh, she was still missing at the time. And this lady looked me square in the face and said, God is going to move mountains, and God is going to allow her to come back home. I believe that by faith, and we're trusting God to do that. And your message is um, the message from God's word speaking to our hearts. She took copies of that message and distributed it to all the family members. And said she was going to give that message to Sherry when Sherry got home. And that was just two Sundays ago. And so, um, no glory to us as, as people. But God moved a mountain there. Amen? 
just a miracle, praising God and rejoicing with the family. So lots of things to be thankful for. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing our study here, going through verse by verse through this wonderful book, talking about our identity. And this, this week we're going to start chapter 2, and we're going, to, we're going to make a contrast. We're going to see how God's Word tells us that there was a time, and still is a time for those who are not in Christ, where we were dead, we're hopeless, and then there's a time for those that trust Christ that could be made alive. And, he, and there's a contrast of those two things. And we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but just to introduce it, you know, is there something creepy about dead people? Are, are you, is anybody, like, there's a couple of you that are just like really intrigued and interested in dead bodies and stuff. You're strange. I don't get that, but most of us are a little bit weirded out. I'll never forget my first couple of funerals. I was a young guy, early 20s in the ministry doing funerals. And, and it just, going out to the graveside or with the open casket, um, forgive me, I don't mean to be insensitive, but it just kind of creeped me out a little bit. I always avoided looking at the body. And I don't know why that is. You know, cemeteries are scary for us. Why is a cemetery scary? They're dead. Um, but, but it is. It's a little creepy. And I don't know what the fixation today with the zombies are, but... But dead, the dead walking around, it's in every video game, every movie, every cartoon now. It's just, it's crazy. There's this weird um, hype about, about dead bodies. And the thing about a dead body is it just, it doesn't respond to any stimulus, does it? I think maybe there was a person there and they used to interact with you and the person's gone and there's just this shell that just sort of, it's organic material that just sort of decays and you know, it gets ugly and it falls apart and just disintegrates into nothing. And that's it's just a little bit like depressing, a little bit sad. That's the thing about death. And so um, the writer of Ephesians refers to this death by saying this. Read, read in chapter 2 with me, if you will. Verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were once conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were dead, he says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Do you see the contrast there? Verses 1 through 3 talk about you, and I was talking to believers, to, to the church. You were once dead, but now you're no longer dead. That's the gist of the message. The point is, since you're not dead anymore, remember the whole theme here about Ephesians is our identity. Who we really are. High five, I'm alive. You remember that? That's who we really are. Well, this is what he's saying. You're no longer dead. You don't have to live that way anymore. In a sense, he's saying, you know what? You should live life alive now in Christ. There's a newness. And I want to show you that contrast maybe to help you this morning. Three areas that he tells us um, that every person is or was dead. And this is not talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual death. 
All three areas were areas that we were once dead. Or, if you're not in Christ today, you still are dead. First of all, the course of this world. Look what he says. You were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Hey guys, the course of this world, the direction that this world leads is away from God. Is that a surprise to anyone? It is. I mean, if, if it wasn't for God's presence through the believer, through the Holy Spirit right now, if God were just to remove, like a rapture, the Holy Spirit from the earth, this world would turn into pandemonium, chaos, anarchy. It degrades into that which is not good. The power of the, of the world, the course that it leads us in, takes us to destruction. Uh-oh. Just pull my clip off. Takes us to destruction. Um, back in the uh, four and five hundreds, it was the same thing. It's nothing new. There was a guy named St. Augustine, and St. Augustine made this observation. I think it's true today. He said, the world beats to a different drum. It beats to the, the, the drum of, watch this, money, sex, and power. Now that was true in uh, 467 AD, 450, 500 AD. I think it's still true today. What drives the momentum of society, culture, the world system around us is generally categorized in those three areas, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all about money and, you know, the, the prestige and the the comfort and the luxury that comes with this pursuit of better things. All these physical, you ever think about this? All these things that we're busy pursuing, 150 years from now, 200 years from now, 500 years from now, every single thing that we fought so hard to grasp hold of is going to decay and turn into nothing. Right? It's going to be nothing. There's, the whole world's going to be different 500 years from now if we last that long. And none of this physical, worldly stuff that we pursue will have any value. It won't even be remembered for most of us. But the course of the world, the direction of the world, leads toward death, lifelessness. That which is opposed to good. Listen to what John said in 1 John about the world. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at that. The Bible says to love the world chases out love for God. There's a, there's a one or the other. You love the world, that means you're not loving God. If you love God, that means you're not loving the world. They're, they're opposed to one another. The world system is not a system of grace and mercy and considering others before yourself. It's a system of me. You do all you can for yourself, gain all you can. It's all about me, mine, and what I can get, not others. That's the direction, that's the system of the world. What he's saying is you had to buy into that before Christ. There was no other option. You, it was like a tidal wave and you were just stuck in it. No ability to see anything living. But now you're no longer like that. Don't buy into the value system of the world around you, the course of this world. Then the second thing is, it says, what you once walked according to the course of this world, 
according to, watch this, the prince of the power of the air. We were all dead according to the prince of this world. The prince of the power of the air. That's God's enemy. That's the devil. That's Satan. Right? Jesus himself acknowledges that Satan has a certain authority that's been allowed to him over the affairs of the world. Now, I know some people don't like to hear that. Some people even argue it. But that's what it's saying here. In fact, if you really study this, according to the prince of the power, that word for power is given authority. It's the authority over the air. That's the lower atmosphere. Not the heavenlies, but the earthlies. The world system today is under the influence of the enemy. Now, that's, that's not... you, you got to remember who the enemy is, okay? When I say the devil or God's enemy or Satan, I don't know why, but for some reason most of us think about um, some guy full of tattoos in the, in the darkness of the woods sacrificing innocent animals. Or we think about some dude in red underwear with a pitchfork and horns on his head, right? And, and we almost make, make light of it. A cartoon figure. That's not where we find him. Where we find him is exerting influence over the affairs of the world, of, of, of worldly systems, politics, and, and economies, and world governments, right? Media. It's not hard to see that, is it? That the prince of the power of the air has influence over the media. I mean, it's full of lies. That's his native language, to speak lies. So what does he look like? Well says here, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in sons of disobedience. You know what that means? That means that God's enemy is working to lead people to be disobedient to God. Anywhere in this world where we see the world system, let's say, for example, money and sex and power, being made to look more attractive than it really is, that's this prince of the power of the air working through the sons of disobedience to make it look as if it's good. The perversion and immorality of sex and money and power. I mean, just, just look, all you have to do, folks, is just look at, at least in America, what's popular on television today? It's not, I'm not asking what you like, okay, because hopefully you like something different. But, but what makes all the money? What's the big top five, top ten? Half of them are reality TV shows where somebody is having an adulterous affair on somebody else, right? And their and they're, and they're foul, gross language, obscene. Everything that they say on TV, these, these, these things that the world just idolizes and can't wait to get home to watch for entertainment, to, be, to, to find pleasure in. Everything that happens in these TV shows is diametrically opposed to the heavenlies, to the character of God. And yet, it's so incredibly successful. They're popular. Why? Because he's working through the sons of disobedience to make those things that are not of God look more attractive than they really are. If we were able to see the truth where the perversion of sex leads and immorality, where the, 
the love of money takes a person. If we could see that on TV, it would show destruction and death and loneliness and depression. That's what it should show. But it doesn't because it's under the sway, the influence of the enemy. And you once, he said, had no choice but to get caught up in that. That's all you knew. It made perfect sense to you. It met with your thoughts and your nature and your heart. That's what, hey, if you, if you want to argue with that, go ahead. But I think there's a reason why those things are so popular on television today. Because you know what? People are under the sway. They're under the influence. It doesn't make sense to them that there would be anything different than that. Jesus himself spoke about this enemy of his, the prince of the power of the air. In John 10, he called him a thief. Jesus said, I came to give life. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the prince of the power of the air is doing as he has influence with the world around us. He influences to steal he, 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 pro- he proposes a message, a way of life, a pursuit that steals from us, that kills that which is good, and which destroys the possibility of something that is better. How on the earth does he do that? Well, there's a key to the enemy's strategy. You should probably be aware of it. The key to his strategy is disobedience. Everything the enemy leads people to do is in disobedience to what God wants. That's his key, to get people to disobey God, right? And when you were without Christ, when you were dead in trespasses and sin, that's all you could do was disobedience. There's no way out of that. And by the way, there's a tool that he uses in his tool bag. It's probably his most common tool, this enemy of God, to get us to disobey, to get people to disobey, and it's called deceit, lies. Lying is the native tongue of the enemy of God. It's what he speaks. It's the primary way in which he communicates his value, his way, his disobedience, his opposition to God. It's always not true. He doesn't speak truth. He doesn't know truth. He speaks in lies. So if he has influence over the systems of the world, then we see the systems of the world constantly proposing that which is not true. And where does that lead people? To death. Not not just physical death, right? Why do you think drugs are such a problem in our world today? Why do you think alcoholism constantly threatens the family? Because people are looking for some way to deal with the emptiness of finding out that, you know what, I do what the world says, I go after these things, I value these things, and it doesn't give me what the world tells me that I'm going to get. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't give peace. All it does is lead to turmoil and anxiety and fear and darkness. And when you were dead, that's all you knew, he said. You lived that way. That's, that's, that's life. 
By the way, if you are in Christ today, a believer in Jesus Christ, having trusted him as your savior, you need to know this. The enemy cannot control you. He cannot touch you. We've already, where do we see that? Ephesians 1.13, we already studied it. You were sealed by the Spirit of God. But here's what he can do. He can steal from you. He can lie and deceive you. You have to listen. Do you listen to God or do you listen to the world? Because if you're listening to the world, you're listening to the megaphone of the enemy of God who always will deceive and lead to death. He'll steal your joy. The world never tells you that you're going to end up being lonely and empty and frustrated. We don't have to live that way in Christ. I'm going to show you that in a minute. We are dead according to the course of this world. We are dead according to the prince of the power of the air. And then finally, he says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature were children of wrath. The nature of our flesh. We were dead according to the nature of our flesh. This is like the perfect storm. You've got the course of the world around us. Everything is moving away from God toward destruction toward not good. And then you have the enemy who's been allowed authority over the world, who sways and influences over the world, and all of his influence is deceit to get us to experience disobedience, to not know the goodness of God. And then on top of that, we have this nature that we're born with that is directly opposed to God. Now this one's going to take a little thinking, okay? Because we don't like to hear that. You mean I'm by nature a person who is not good? I don't, I don't like to hear that. That's the way every single person is born. Do you, do you understand? We don't, it's not that we're bad because we choose to do bad things today. Humans do bad things because they are bad by nature. We're not sinners because we choose to sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is, the, he said, that's the nature that you come into this world with. It's a, it's a, there's no spirit life. It's dead. It knows nothing but sin. It cannot rise above the death of sin. Well, that's a depressing message if I've ever heard one. I mean, folks, you got to know um, that's where you were, church. And by the way, that's where the rest of the world around us still is. It's their nature. I, I remember when we were raising our children, they're, they're all out of the house now and Julie and I had Thanksgiving, and it was this little small table about this big, and I was sitting across the table from her, and it was very quiet. And that was very strange for us, because we've always had three little girls running around the house, and you know, I remember the first time our first daughter told a white lie, and she was pretty young, 
And it was, you know, something that she did, but she said she didn't do it. Okay. Am I the only one that has a kid like that? Just, I mean, you remember when your child did that the first time? Right? And, and the question is, they didn't absorb that from their atmosphere. They weren't trained to do that. They didn't watch somebody else say, oh, I see. If you tell a story, you get away with it. No, they did that because it was their nature coming out. They didn't have to learn it. That just came natural for them. Right? I think about my girls running around the house. And, you know, like one of them's setting up blocks and building blocks. And the older one comes by and runs by and destroys all the blocks and runs off screaming and laughing. Now, where did she learn that? We don't act like that. Julie and I don't do that. Where did she learn that? Right? What about sitting in the high chair? Grandparents, you probably see this, right? A nice little plate of food is neatly organized. Here's your vegetables. Here's your applesauce. And it doesn't take long. Boop, that thing goes flying over. Food goes everywhere. What gets into their little minds to do that? They didn't learn that. That's their nature. How many ever heard raising kids? How many have toddlers at home? Anybody? Still have toddlers? Go ahead. Raise your hands nice and high. We need to pray for you, because so raise your hands. Okay? Yeah, yeah, toddlers. This, how many of you hear this on a, on, a, on a weekly basis? Mine! Right? You remember that? Mine, yes. Teenagers? Mine, mine. Now, what is that saying? When a kid does that, isn't it basically... I want what I want for me, and you don't get it. It's not yours. It's, what is that saying? I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. It's about me, not you. That is our nature. That is what we're born with. And that will lead us to death. Now, I want you to think about what I said earlier. The dead body is creepy. Why? Because it doesn't respond to any stimulus. It's no longer there. It's, it's like empty, decay, nothing good. That's what happens spiritually when we follow our nature of our own flesh. Me, mine, is just like taking the life out. And then everything that I grab hold of for, as mine and, and, and I put myself above others in my relationship is like death. And decay and lifelessness. That's who we are. Um, let me just warn you because I know um, in a minute we're going to get to the good stuff, right? You're waiting for that when, when God does something different. You don't have to live that way. But by nature of the warning, I want you to see this. Even though in Christ we don't have to live according to the nature of our flesh... The problem is that many of us still do. Does that really happen to Christians? That's why he's writing it to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, that's not who you are. Don't live that way. You don't have to. You've been given something different. So, so we, we go back to this. And I want to warn you about this one in particular. The nature of our flesh we sometimes get so deceived as believers because we still buy into and listen to that old voice and that old nature that's dead and buried. Our tendency 
watch for this in your life, to gravitate towards self. Now, do I have to convince anybody that that's true today? Do you have a tendency to be selfish as a Christian? Right? Okay. I got some treats today. I brought some. It's Christmas time. I like peppermints. So for the next four weeks during December, I'm bringing peppermints. June said, amen, yes, brother. And she gets rewarded. See, if you all speak up, you get a treat today. It's just like kids, right? It's because your nature is now. By the way, front row people get treats automatically. So, so you guys sitting back there, you just try up here next time. Right? See how full we can get the front row section. It's just a little fun there. Hey, we all have that tendency to be selfish. That's why we get hurt feelings. That's why we grow jealous and bitter when somebody says something bad to us or it doesn't go our way. So watch that tendency. Also, the tendency for us today to gravitate, to gravitate toward what we know rather than the unknown. That's a fleshly desire. I want to share that with you because it's so important. It, 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 it keeps a lot of churches in bondage. God is always working in the area of the unknown. The future is always life. The future for Cross Point Community Church is better than we know today. It's bigger as far as God doing work, as far as God revealing himself, supernatural stuff, healing and restoration, and save lives, and restored marriages, right? And kids that are coming out of darkness, and out of drugs, and into the light, and giving the Lord their lives. All those things are good. They're unknown at this point. They're in the future. And God has something in the future for you families that's unknown. If you really, truly trust Him, and walk by faith, experience what only God can do in your life, it will lead you to something that you've never known before. Newness. We have a tendency to always gravitate back to that which we already know, which is familiar to us. I'm reminded of the classic example in Numbers chapter 11. I'm still getting used to this thing. Do you see that? I almost fell. Numbers chapter 11. Do you remember the children of Israel? God led them out of bondage from where? Egypt. And when he did, he brought them, he was leading them to the promised land, you remember? And in the wilderness, there was no water, no food. So God was miraculously providing. That was something new. That was something they did not know. He brought them to the wilderness. Why? To show his great provision, his miraculous provision. And he was feeding them manna. He was feeding them bread from heaven. Sustenance directly from the kitchen of God supernaturally, that would show up as they needed it. Something they never knew before. But if you remember, Numbers 11 verse 4 said, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. Remember what I said? The nature of our flesh means that we have a tendency to go back to that which we already know. They yielded to the intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. 
But now our whole being is dried up and there's nothing except this manna before our eyes. And you remember, they craved and wanted the quail. They wanted what they had way back in Egypt. You know how short our memory is sometimes. It, we always remember it better than it is, the old glory days. And sometimes, sometimes we even want to go with that which is familiar over that which is right. That which is comfortable because we know it well and we've experienced it and had it before over that which is challenging but good. That which requires faith. That which requires me to go into a place that I can no longer do it for myself. I would rather, my tendency is to go back to the place where I had it, where I could do it for myself. And they remembered back to Egypt. It's funny how they remember this, you know, the, the cucumbers and the melons. They remember that part. They don't remember the brick making. They don't remember the bondage and how they cried out to God every day, please deliver us. That's the way our flesh is sometimes. It, it takes us, this tendency, back to something that was leading to decay at one time. But God saved us from it. You ever uh, open your refrigerator in the kitchen and um, look for something to eat? And way back there is that one Tupperware container or whatever you put it in with foil on it. And it's been there for a while, but you think, you know, I'm hungry. And so you pull it out. And there's a piece of meat in there that somebody forgot was in there. Anybody ever done that? And you, you open up the top or you peel back the foil. And, and then like three hours later you wake up from that smell that knocked you out. Right? It, it, what does it smell like? It's nasty. Gross. Why? Because it's decaying. Well, why is it decaying? Because it's dead. Right? It didn't smell like that when it was alive. Now, it didn't smell like that when you put it in the fridge, but it only took time for that decay to catch up to where it smelled like that. That's the way it is with the nature of our flesh. It's already dead. Don't go back and pick it up. It's decaying. It's not going, the deeds of the flesh are not going to lead to goodness. That which is familiar isn't always good. That which is comfortable isn't always where God is. He's leading us to experience, watch this, new life. Life that we've never known. Now I want to show you this death and decay conversation is getting a bit dark. I came to church to hear all that. Here comes the good news. He tells us that we are dead according to the course of this world and we were dead according to the prince of the world and we were dead according to the nature of our flesh. And then I want you to read with me. But God. That's the biggest but in the whole Bible. Come on, I've been waiting all week to say that. That's all I get? Are you afraid to laugh because you're in church and you can't laugh at that? Come on, there's no bigger butt in the whole world. How's that? This is the biggest butt you ever will see. I know I'm going to get in trouble. I know it, but it's, I'm already out there, so I'm having fun with it. But 
in spite of the hopelessness of death and your flesh leading you away from goodness and away from life, God did something different. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, there's three things here too that we need to focus on about life. First of all, but God loves. All of life, forgiveness, and mercy comes because God loves us. God's love drives life. It drives everything that takes us away from the hopelessness and to hope. It drives everything that takes us away from destruction, no good, having nothing left that's of any value, to life and being abundant in value. Having lots that is good. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it just barely so you can get by. Did I miss that? That's not what it says, is it? He says, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. That means that what God does is not just, oh, you know, by the way, you don't have to follow your flesh anymore. You don't have to, the way the world's falling apart and leading people to misery, you don't have to do that anymore. It's not just that, but it's, you don't have to do that anymore. And instead, what you get is you get not just a little bit, but an abundance of goodness. Why? Because he loves us. You guys can see this. The love that God gives us, the abundance of life, comes in the form of love so that we can experience it and express it with the same language. Love. I want you to know that living apart from death, living alive in Christ today, means living a life of love. Because God loved us. And his life comes with love. It comes by love. And that's how we live in it. We are so frustrated sometimes as Christians today. You know why? Because we still don't want to live in love. Love means when someone mistreats you or offends you. Classic example. Find yourself here. Instead of continuing to love them, you withhold your love from them. Instead of forgiving them and esteeming them as more than yourself, instead of grace and giving them mercy, we judge them and we're critical of them. And what we do at that moment when we're unforgiving of someone or bitter against someone who has hurt us or mistreated us or we think has hurt us and mistreated us is we begin to separate ourselves from them. And guess what we do? We take our life out of the life of the living and we put our life back in the graveyard. No good will ever come from unforgiveness. No hope will ever come from bitterness. No joy will ever come from not giving someone mercy. It won't lead to joy. 
it will only lead back to the graveyard. According to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air and the nature of your flesh, which didn't do anything good. Why are you going back there, he says. Why do you bicker amongst yourselves? Why do you still chasing after the dollar, the material goods, the pleasures of this world? I'm asking you, church, why are you still chasing after the pleasures of this world today? They're not going to bring you what you're looking for. They're only going to bring disappointment. Self-seeking will only take you to a place where you no longer feel, sense, and live in the presence of God's love, even though He's given it to you. It's like going back to the graveyard when you don't have to. But God loves us. Let's go on. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive. He made us alive. That is, it's not just that we're not dead anymore. It's that we have better opportunities to experience what God is doing. Hey, guys, I, I don't know why we need to be reminded of this, but I guess it's just part of life we do. I want to remind you today that God is up to something in our church. Right? This isn't just like this, like we put together a program and do what we can to go through the motions to get people and have kids here just because that's what you do. It's because God is doing something here. He is moving. He's touching lives. He's bringing something of himself up in our midst. It's it's God's work that we are invited to experience, that we are invited to participate in, that we are invited to serve in and to give in and to enjoy. This is life. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, church. Life is where God is working around you. And he's working in, your, in your, your personal circumstances and in your family and definitely in this church. The question is, will you join? Will you get involved? Will you jump in by faith and begin serving and begin acting out your faith by doing God's work? The work of God today is not a burden. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It comes from being made alive And now you can experience all of the glory and the goodness of God right here, even on this side of heaven. But you have a choice to make. Where are you going to live? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raises us up. But God raises us up above the decay, above the deceit. You know, you don't have to be deceived by the world. You don't have to buy into it, believer. You don't have to chase after that elusive American dream that says you can have so much worldly, physical fame and pleasure. You don't have to chase after that because you've been raised up above it. And the life that lives above that plane is like a heavenly life here on earth. It's like practicing God's ways right here in the midst of the world's ways. And I'm just going to tell you something. It's not just that a pastor is pleading with you, please, church member, believer in Christ, disciple, 
Don't go out and live the ways of the world. Be a good church member. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, God has so much more for you to experience. Joy that is unknown by the world. The billionaire who's accumulated all the fame and prestige and cars and everything, and he's the envy of the, of the world, and he's got this great big house, and he lives in luxury. He will never know the joy that you do from serving your brother in Christ, from preaching the gospel to those who do not know it in our community. He will never know the peace of standing in faith and saying, I choose to give away that which God has given me. Instead of hoarding it for myself, they will never know that kind of peace. But you can. Because he's raised you up. And he's given you his very spirit, his very life. Church, we are to be living in that life now. Here. That's what it's all about. So the question for you is this. Are you living today as if you still are in the graveyard? No response, no goodness, it's all falling apart and dark. Or are you living above that? In the realm and on the plane of the Spirit of God working and moving. Newness of life. Sacrificial giving and joy and peace. Where are you living? What nature do you choose to follow? You can choose to follow the old nature, which is still dead, or you can choose to follow the Spirit of God, which is alive in you. Hey, it's time for the church. It's time for you. It's time for me to start living alive in Jesus Christ. Let's do that today as we're remembering Thanksgiving and heading into Christmas. Let's just live alive. I want to inspire you. To live a life of greatness. You. Even in your circumstances. Even with what's going on. A life of glory. A life of immense joy and immeasurable peace. A life that's far above the limited, fleeting vision of get all you can. And die empty. Gain Christ. And live a life today. Let's pray. Thank you God. For your son Jesus Christ. We just lift you up Jesus. We praise you for dying on the cross for us. And for giving your love to us. And as you're praying this morning. Just a time of response here. As you're praying this morning. Wherever you're seated. I want to invite you. To trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your own personal Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. And without that gift of forgiveness and sacrificial death that He died in your place, without that there is no life. It's not possible. Will you choose life today and trust in Jesus Christ? If that's your heart, I invite you to pray with me. Pray like this. Father, I... I know that I'm a sinner. I sin because my nature leads me away from you and and I'm tired of it. Thank you for Jesus 
who died for my sins and shed his blood on my behalf. And I trust in your death, Jesus, as the payment for my sins. And I choose to believe you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life and give me everlasting life. And as we celebrate the decision to trust Christ as Savior, every single one of us has a choice to make today. Father, I choose to rise above the ways of the world and the course of it. I choose to not believe the lies of the prince of the power of the air. And I choose not to follow the tendency of my own flesh, nature, which haunts me from the grave. But instead, I choose Jesus. Lord, help me to be alive. I'm inspired to live in your realm, in love. I'm inspired to live in forgiveness this week and to let go of the bitterness and anger Injustice. To give generously. To serve. To join you where you're working and be part of something that is so much bigger. God, I give you my life today. I give you, where do you want me? I give you my availability, my resources to live life for eternity. Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to ask the ushers if they would come forward. We're just going to take a time to have our offering this morning and I'm just going to ask a prayer for that offering. Precious Heavenly Father, we just come to you, just an almighty God that you are in loving us. I thank you for your word this morning, Lord. May it penetrate us, penetrate our hearts. May we continue to just seek you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing amongst it. I just ask that you would just continue blessing them. We thank you for your work and this week in people, Lord, and healing them and touching them. We ask for strength for them and others amongst us that are out sick today, Lord. We thank you for our missionaries abroad. Lord, as they need your protection there and that they can bring people across this world to hear this word of yours, Lord Jesus, that you love us and care and gave us Jesus. We ask now that this offering being taken, that you would continue to just bless that offering, Lord. May we be able to use it to be able to reach out to this community and the needs of this church. We ask this in your precious, holy name. Amen.